The gospel accounts of Jesus' life summarize his core message that eternal life in God's kingdom is available to everyone who repents and receives him as Lord and Savior, regardless of status, race, gender, or your past sins. A life of joy, holiness, power, meaning, and love is freely available to anyone who receives the Lord. And that's why the gospel is called good news. Jesus proclaimed this good news while healing people of diseases and driving out demons. The preaching of the apostles also centered around Jesus' teaching and how we are redeemed by him. The apostle Peter proclaimed, be saved from this corrupt generation. And now honest preaching must emphasize the fact that Jesus is returning soon. People just need to prepare for the fact that this world is in transition. Soon the church age will be completed and the salvation of all Israel will be the pinnacle of world history, followed by a thousand years of Messiah's reign of peace on earth when Jesus returns to take charge of this unruly planet. The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. Hello, I'm Christine Dark. The meaning of the word preach is to proclaim like a herald or like a town crier plainly delivering the message of deliverance and salvation. In medieval England and France, town criers would demand people's attention by shouting, Hear ye, hear ye. And God himself proclaimed, Hear, O Israel, a number of times in the Hebrew Bible, in passages such as Deuteronomy 6.4, containing the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In today's broadcast, we want to emphasize that there's tremendous power in gospel proclamation. Especially in these dangerous last days, we must faithfully proclaim the eternal truths of God's Word. Under the direction and anointing of the Holy Spirit, proclamation can change individual hearts, but also destiny of nations. Now, according to Matthew 24, 14, this present church age will close when the gospel has been proclaimed to God's satisfaction in all the world as a witness to all nations. And that's our purpose here at Exploits Ministry, to proclaim the everlasting gospel to a world desperate for this truth and to interpret prophetically the times we're living in. In both Matthew 24 and Mark 13, the emphasis is to spread the gospel beyond the bounds of Jerusalem and Judaism so that peoples of any race, culture, or creed will hear the words of eternal life. The gospel of Jesus was intended to be preached to the ends of the world. And in Acts 1.8, Jesus promised, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Writing to the Romans around A.D. 60, the Apostle Paul noted that to a certain extent, this goal had already been achieved 
even in his lifetime. Paul wrote in Romans 10:18, in which he quoted Psalm 19. Indeed, he said, their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. So the goal of proclaiming the gospel to all nations beyond the confines of Jerusalem and Judaism was being carried out even in the days of the New Testament church. That's why the early church, as expressed in Paul's letters to the Thessalonians, could expect the second coming to happen at any moment. In fact, the return of the Lord is still imminent at this very moment. Now the word proclamation, or the verb to proclaim, comes from Latin, meaning to shout forth. The Bible constantly teaches us to proclaim and to confess both the gospel and God's word in our daily lives. Biblically speaking, to confess means to say the same ideas as God has stated in this word. And in our daily conversations, it's so important to train ourselves to speak positively, not negatively. Speaking positively in line with God's word is a personal, ongoing, lifetime project for me. In fact, and this is key, Hebrews 3.1 calls Jesus the high priest of our confession, meaning that when we proclaim words in faith, the Lord Jesus as our high priest in heaven affirms his blessing and backs up our words with his authority. But by contrast, if we remain silent or if we speak negatively, we impede the Lord's ministry as the high priest of our confession. Think about that. The Lord hears what we say, and if we speak negatively, if we speak the opposite of God's word, he can take no action due to the inaccuracy of our words. Therefore, speaking the word of God is part of the lifestyle of every serious believer. As we see the end times approaching, it's my conviction that our proclamation should become more aggressive, more exacting. Lord, I proclaim even now your word in Isaiah 62.1. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. Concerning many issues such as battles over properties and lands, we often pray and proclaim Psalm 125, verse 3. The scepter of the wicked will not rest upon the land allotted to the righteous. That verse puts a restraining order on many of the devil's shenanigans. Well, more than any Bible teacher I know in Jerusalem, Derek Prince of Blessed Memory taught us on the power of proclamation. Derek understood that proclaiming is the activity of a herald. And in the New Testament, the word for preach or proclaim is associated with being the herald of good news. Today, if we're born-again believers, the Lord expects us to be His heralds. We stand in the marketplace of ideas and proclaim, hear the word of the Lord, announcing God's precepts. Many years ago, I learned from meetings led by Derek Prince to proclaim as a statement of faith, I shall not die but live. And do what? Proclaim the works of the Lord. Of course, I realize that 
everybody is under the sentence of death unless we're privileged to participate in the rapture. But the proclamation, I shall not die but live, is a statement of faith against premature death. We must hold on until we have fulfilled our divine mission in life. Derek testified that he was essentially pessimistic by nature until God revolutionized him with Jeremiah 29, 11, one of my favorite verses, where the Lord is speaking to Israel and says, I know the plans that I have for you, plans for good and not of evil. Another translation says, plans of prosperity and not of calamity, to give you a future and a hope. So every time Derek found himself entertaining thoughts of trouble and potential disaster, he would train himself to counter negative thoughts by proclaiming that the Lord's plans for him were good and not evil, to give him a future and a hope. And he would proclaim that verse until negative thoughts were replaced by peace. So why don't we train ourselves to behave this way? Let's say today I'm going forward in the good plans God has destined for me, plans to give me a future and a hope. I'm not expecting trouble, sorrow, and disappointment. What a difference this attitude makes. Our authority is the rod of God, this word of God. Moses, Israel's deliverer, accomplished all of his exploits against Egypt, as well as parting the Red Sea with his shepherd's rod. God said to Moses in Exodus 14, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea. Divide it so the children of Israel will go through on dry ground. Well, Moses obeyed. He stretched out his rod. However, in the book of Exodus, it's still called the rod of God. God's rod did the job of parting the sea, but Moses dared to stretch it out. So in order to accomplish exploits, we believers also have a rod in our hands, these holy scriptures. Derek Prince taught us that the Bible becomes our rod of authority. Of course, when learning to handle the Word of God, we can't be presumptuous and foolish, but we must be under the direction of the Holy Spirit in order to accomplish everything the Lord asks us to do. At one point, Moses' rod became a snake and gobbled up all the serpentine rods of Pharaoh's magicians. Likewise, God's word is in our mouth is victorious because 1 John 4, 4 proclaims, after all, the one in you is greater than the one in the world. Furthermore, the Bible testifies about itself in Hebrews 4, 12. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That verse means this word has the power to penetrate hearts, cutting us open, laying us out. When we read it, it reads us. Let me tell you, an AI, artificial intelligence Bible will never be able to reproduce 
that kind of supernatural power. Well, Isaiah 55:11 became a special rhema to me that I've relied upon countless times. God states, my word that goes forth from my mouth shall not return to me void, empty, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. What thing? Anything God specifies and desires. His word is pictured here as God's messenger. As his word goes forth out of his mouth, it seemingly acquires shape, infused with life because of its divine origin. And so God's word runs like a swift messenger to heal, deliver, and save. And it doesn't return from its course until it has accomplished the will of the divine sender. So when you're praying for a sick relative or friend, First, seek the mind of God on the matter and then send his appropriate word. Proclaim a specific fitting word into the situation. For example, you might send Isaiah 53, 5, which is repeated in the New Testament in 1 Peter 2, 24. By the Lord's stripes, you were healed. Similarly, another of my favorite proclamations is Psalm 107, verse 20. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Literally, it says he sent his word and healed and delivered them from their grave pits. Many times I've pulled this verse out like an arrow when praying for healing for people, often in long distance situations. The word we send may indeed be a Bible verse or a message like the word sent to King Hezekiah in Isaiah 38, 5 when he was sick. And God said he would add 15 years to Hezekiah's life. Or it may be a thought suggested to a person's mind directly by the Spirit of God or a message delivered by an angel, as, for example, mentioned in Job 33, 23. Jesus often demonstrated miraculous cures and healings by speaking a word of command, causing diseases and demons to depart. And he's the same today. He still sends his word and heals people and delivers them from their grave pits. So we have to decide which is more reliable, the symptoms of a sickness or God's word. Which are we going to believe? Deuteronomy 33, 25 to 37 is one of my very favorites, and I often proclaim it over people in faith. As your days, so shall your strength be. The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. He will thrust out the enemy from before you, saying, destroy. Now, of course, when we proclaim this verse, we're thinking of demonic foes, not human beings, because our enemies in this life are not flesh and blood. But that's a powerful verse. It gets the devil running. Now then, suppose your challenge was something that seems impossible to do. When God is leading us, we can confidently proclaim Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. This verse became a real rhema to me when giving birth to our first son. I was in labor for many hours and was becoming very tired. But then I began to take hold of Philippians 4.13 And thankfully, I succeeded in giving a natural delivery 
without having to have a C-section. There's a source of power within believers that's released when we make these scriptural proclamations. We might not have the natural ability or the strength, but when something is the will of God, he will grant us the power to achieve the task. Well, now, I have to observe that proclaiming the word of God into any situation requires at least five things. First of all, to be effective, we must acquire a knowledge of this word of God. We have to study to learn what it says on any subject so we can be instant in and out of season to send forth the most effective verses into any situation that arises. Secondly, and this is also paramount, we have to learn always to rely on direction from the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, we must gain experience rightly dividing this word of truth. Two other factors are also necessary. Faith to proclaim God's word. And let's face it, we also need boldness. To be bold, you have genuinely to believe the word of God is active, that it's living, and that it has power to change realities. Now, this is important. I'd call it a sixth factor. The Jewish sages emphasized the necessity of having a holy, reverential awe of the Word of God. It's called the fear of the Lord in Hebrew, Yerat Adonai, meaning reverential wonder, an abiding sense of awe. According to Isaiah 66, 2, if we develop a reverential fear of God's Word, our attitude will attract the Lord's attention. That verse says, but on this one will I look. One translation says, this one I will respect, the person who is poor of a contrite spirit and who, what? Trembles at my word. Another rendition says, I will pay attention to him who is humble and contrite in spirit and who reverently trembles at my word. I ask God to help me to learn to tremble at his word. Imagine standing before Almighty God to give an account of our lives. For sure, we would tremble, and yet it never ceases to amaze me how some people seem to have no healthy reverential fear of God, and I'm frequently shocked at the way even some professing Christians seem to take delight in backbiting and attacking God's servants as if God is not listening. I saw a video on YouTube the other day mocking a man of God because he was contending for the healing aspect of the gospel. The video producer demonstrated zero fear of God as he mocked the preacher and disparaged the doctrine of divine healing. So how do we deal with slander and criticism? Do we take our brothers to court? Rather, let's learn instead to make a practice of proclaiming in faith, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, one of my favorite verses, Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Hallelujah. Our righteousness is imputed. It's derived from the Lord. So we can apply the principle of this verse to our lives, but let's not forget that originally these verses were given to Israel, and they still hold true for Israel today. 
The tiny nation of Israel is frequently slandered in the United Nations and threatened by her neighbors. But God has decreed that Israel cannot be destroyed. No weapon against Israel will ultimately prosper. God has proclaimed not only the new covenant with Israel in Jeremiah chapter 31, but also in verse 35, God mentioned a planetary covenant concerning the permanence of Israel. Listen to what that verse actually says. Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day, the ordinances of the moon and the stars for light by night. If these ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. Wow. Think about that. God uniquely states as long as there's a sun, moon, and stars, there will be a people called Israel. And concerning the restoration of Israel in Jeremiah 31, 7, we're commanded, thus says the Lord, sing with gladness for Jacob, shout among the chief of the nations, proclaim, give praise and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Hallelujah. This verse commands us to sing, shout, proclaim, praise, and pray that God will save Israel's remnant. And of course, this verse is especially relevant now as Israel is being regathered. And again, in verse 10 of Jeremiah 31, the God of Israel amazingly proclaims, hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the isles far off and say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. God commands the nations to proclaim this boldly, unashamedly, because the same God who scattered Israel to the nations is at this moment regathering Israel and will keep Israel as a shepherd maintains his flock. Nothing can stop God's momentum, and we are eyewitnesses. Amen. Now, furthermore, concerning proclamation, a seasoned intercessor will progress from praying for one's individual and family needs and so forth to praying for the destinies of cities and entire nations. God will enlarge our hearts and entrust us with these prayer calls. Even he'll give to some of us to make prayer proclamations concerning his eternal purposes in international affairs, particularly when his prophetic purposes concerning Israel and the nations are concerned. For 10 years in Jerusalem, we were spirit-led in monthly regional prayer meetings with our mandate, Psalm 149. And I'll personalize that psalm. It says, let the high praises of God be in our mouths and a two-edged sword in our hand to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the people, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the written judgment. This honor have all his saints praise the Lord. Now, in that King James English, the word saints might cause a lot of believers to think that only so-called super saints can pray with regional authority. Unfortunately, the word saints in modern parlance has become associated with the Roman Catholic doctrine of sainthood. But the Hebrew word for saints in this psalm is actually hasid. That's a sect of Orthodox Jews called the Hasidim. 
The Hebrew for this word saint simply means godly persons, which is a description of many believers who would never otherwise think of themselves as saints in the Catholic sense, although the word saint technically describes all born-again believers. And why? Because the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to all born-again believers. Imputed righteousness is why we can see ourselves as saints or godly persons. Now, this great Psalm 149 says that we hold in our hands a two-edged sword, which is this word of God. And in our mouths are the high praises of God. And with these spiritual weapons, we release God's retribution on the nations. When we engage in spirit-led corporate prayer and praise, wielding the sword of the spirit, Psalm 149 explains that we're participating in a dynamic that serves to bind spiritual kings, referring to powers of darkness that rule behind the scenes. For sure, men like Reese Howells and his band of prayer warriors at the Bible College of Wales did just that in World War II. Their prayers and proclamations were used by God to keep Hitler out of Britain. And during the Yom Kippur War in Israel, God used the intercessions of Lance Lambert and Jan Willem van der Hoven and other intercessors at the Garden Tomb in Jerusalem to help determine the outcome of that war. God always has his unseen spiritual army. Yet, Psalm 149 declares, this honor have all his saints, all his godly ones. So are we paying attention? Are we participating boldly in prayers in these turbulent end times? Notice that verse 9 of Psalm 149 says, we believers execute on nations the judgment written. So where is the written judgment? Here, of course, in this word. God has already stated his judgments in this book. We intercessors only release these judgments of God that are already written in the scriptures. I hope you can see that. As we daily draw closer and closer to the time of the rapture and the second coming of Jesus, it's vital that believers learn this proclamation ministry and practice it. Please say amen. Well, so many believers are noticing how rapidly time is just flying off the calendar. Presently, as I speak, the door of salvation is still open and there's still room to humble ourselves at the foot of the cross and to be saved by the merits of the Savior. You can receive from Jesus the free gift of eternal life, but soon Jesus will have returned and then it'll be too late to receive him. That's why I urge you to invite the Savior into your life now because everyone has sinned against God and needs the Redeemer. Proverbs 28.13 declares, Whoever covers their sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Amen. In the Savior, mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other in Jesus. In closing, I'd like to remind you today of our website, exploits.tv, with articles on Bible prophecy and end-time events. We invite you to sign up for our weekly email alert and at our Jerusalem Channel app, as well as our Jerusalem Channel YouTube, you can watch our library of videos anytime, 24-7. I'm proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand. The great day of the Lord is drawing near. 
and soon we'll see King Yeshua. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me on social media. And until next time, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. May the grace of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. I'm Christine Darick. Shalom and Maranatha. A new day begins over Jerusalem's Western Wall Plaza, where Jews and Christians from all over the world gather to worship, pray, and petition the God of Israel. The Holy City is a unique mix of tradition, history, and religious fervor that makes it the center of the world. Through your support of the Jerusalem Channel, we're able to present to a global audience a spiritual insight into the Bible and Bible prophecy that will impact your life. Thank you for being part of these programs. To make a gift, visit our website at jerusalemchannel.tv or download our free Jerusalem Channel app where you can donate by credit or debit card. Celebrate with us this ancient capital that will one day soon be the worship center of the Messiah.